0: <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy
1: 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham County, Cork All Ireland champions, for the seventh
0: Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star, and I'm joined as always by Star Sport editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. You'd know the Tokyo Olympics are just around the corner because for the second week in a row, rowing is the central focus. ...of this week's podcast. Skibbereen duo Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy ...have continued their dominance of the lightweight men's... ...double skulls after another gold-winning performance... ...on Sunday morning at the World Rowing Cup 2 in Lucerne. Fellow Skibberine rower Lydia Heafy also medalled in Switzerland... ...winning a superb silver in the lightweight women's... ...single skulls A-final on Saturday afternoon. And on today's show, we'll reflect on the club's continued success with Olympic gold medal-winning rower Martin Cross. Cross, who won gold at the 1984 Games in Los Angeles, alongside the legendary Steve Redgrave, is also a well-respected rowing commentator, journalist, and author. We're also going to touch base with Balanine sprinter Joan Healy. The 60-meter specialist has been ruled out of the Olympics through injury, but thankfully, the Achilles damage isn't as bad as originally feared. We're also going to talk About Cork's win over Leach, but here before we dive into that, we have to reflect on the performance of Beira golfer, Paul Carrington, who finished tied for fourth at the PGA Championships over the weekend. This comes just two weeks after he guested on the podcast for an in-depth chat with you. So I'm going to give you the floor now. How much credit would you like to take for Porek's recent major success?
1: We'll take absolutely full credit for this, Jack, because two weeks ago on the podcast we we anointed Padraig and West Corkman. So he's a West Cork golfer now. So it's great to see one of our own perform so well on the international stage. So we've John Murphy going great guns in the Walker Cup, and now we've West Corkman Project Harrington finishing fourth in the in the PGA Championship. So good times for West Cork golfers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He'll surely be in line for Bear, a sports person. Of the year come award season. So, uh, congratulations to Porrock and everyone down in our groom. Now, Kieran, Ronan McCarthy's Cork footballers picked up their first win of the year on Saturday evening with a convincing 212 to 10 points win over leash in Port Leash. One week on from a disappointing loss to Colbert. This, you said in your match report, was far better from the Rebels in a must win game that now puts them back into the promotion battle. So, Kieran, you were at the game, you were impressed. How good did Cork look and what impressed you about the performance in comparison to the previous week's loss?
1: It was the first half performance that was more impressive than the second half because the game got very scrappy after the break. But Cork did the damage in the first half. They were 2-7 to 7 points up at halftime. And those goals from Sean White and Rory Dean just gave Cork a cushion to withstand... What comeback leash mounted? and Anish did huff and puff a bit in the second half, but Cork were rarely in trouble. Uh, I suppose look at the first half, Cork and counter attacked really well. They counter attacked with pace. They were still, as Ronald well, McCarty said after, They're, they were a bit helter skelter at times. They weren't in total control, but they didn't kick one wide in the first half. So that was definitely an improvement from, from the Kildare game. They took their chances. Some good performances in there. Kieran um, Sheehan started the last day, and I thought he did quite well in the full forward line. Daniel O'Mahony, the young young knock degree um, defender within that full back and he did well there. Ian Maguire was a colossus in midfield, in fairness to him. Um, Ronan was in after that. He's not training at full tilt at the moment. So for Maguire to put in that shift and he dragged that Cork team along at times. And there was one point in the second half when Cork launched a, a blistering counter attack. fellow uh, had, a, had a shot blocked inside in the Cork square, let's say within 10, 12 13 seconds, car up the other end and Maguire was pointing, so um, Maguire played well, Kevin O'Driscoll put in a good shift, Sean Potter did well as a sweeper, so there were positives to take from it. It was definitely a step up from what we saw against Kildare, but it needs to be tempered to that leash weren't all that great. Um, so we'll have a I know we said it last week, but we'll have another truer sense of where Cork are at after they go to Clare this Sunday. It's a 145 throw and, and in if Cork win that game by four points or more, they'll get through to the league semi-final, which is where where they want to be. But if they lose that game and Kildare beat Leash like they should, then Cork will find themselves in a relegation battle. So it's a big game for Cork up in Clare. And it's, it's interesting to know, too, that Clare have won the last three Division II Football League meetings between the two counties. 2017, 18, and nineteen, Clare came out on top of all those three games against Cork. And Clare are top of the Division II South table at the moment. They beat a good Kildare team away last last weekend. They beat Leash in their first game. So Cork have a, have a lot of work to do this week to try and beat Clare this weekend. Um, Brian Hurley we don't know whether he'll be fit to play or not he, he failed his return to play protocol last week from concussion he, he shipped a heavy knock against Kildare Kahlo he missed the game last weekend but you had the likes like I said Ciarán Sheehan was back in there Luke Connolly started Mark Collins came on as a sub Damien Gore came on as a sub Shane Ford so Cork are gradually getting bodies back they're strickening their options but we'll just see how they get on on, on Sunday against Clare because it's a, it's a pretty important game this early in the season
0: OK humour me now for a second Kieran because we're going to move on from the football fairly quickly but just a tread going into this game against Clare that I want to briefly touch on and that is our Clare now the second best team in Munster ahead of Cork you mentioned that the last three division two league meetings between the sides have been won by Colum Collins's side and one doesn't have to think too far back to when Clare were considered also runs in the Munster Football Championship. But now we're in a position where they're going into a league game with Cork, probably as favourites. I haven't looked at the book, but from my own reading, I would probably make them favourites. So are Clare the second best team in Munster? I know Tipperary won the Munster title last year and Cork beat Kerry, So maybe Munster is as competitive as it has ever been. But just a uh, Humor me for a second. Where do Clare stand in the standings? Where do Cork stand in the standings for that matter?
1: It's a hard one to work out. But it depends on the barometer you want to use to measure team success. But Colm Collins has done a great job with Clare. Um, they won't fear Cork coming up to Innocent Sunday. They'll, they'll be full of beans and they'll be looking forward to um, and hoping to to be Cork for the fourth time in a row. And Clare have something to play for too because depending on results, if they lose, I think they could get knocked out of the to two spot, uh, a bearing on the Division Two semi-finals so they might avoid Mayo in um, one of those semi-finals or so Claire's something on the line as well. But as for where they rank in Munster at the moment, it's it's very it's it's hard to say. Um, you'd obviously put Kerry out number one, then it's um, toss of a coin between between Cork Tipperary and Clare. So we'll have, a, we'll have I'm a interested.
0: To, into- I'm interested to find out what this three-sided coin. Looks like a toss of the coin between three teams, so uh, an interesting concept.
1: It is. A, it's a carry concept. It's it's a three sided coin. It's kind of. It's um, we use it to our advantage whenever we can. So I'm going to use it now as well. Very good. Well,
0: uh, all bodes well. I think for the season ahead. Hopefully there'll be a competitive monster championship to look forward to, and we'll of course cover that in depth in both the Southern Star and on the Star Sport podcast as. The summer progresses, but we're going to take a quick break now. And coming up next, we'll be chatting to Olympic gold medal winning rower Martin Cross.
2: Thanks for listening to the
3: Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. It's
0: not often we get a chance to interview Olympic gold medal winning athletes, Kieran, but after the success of Paula Donovan, Fintan McCarty, Lydia Heafy, and the entire Irish rowing team in Lucerne over the last few weeks. It was only right that we call on one of Team GB's greatest ever rowers for a chat. Martin Cross won his Olympic gold in the Cox 4 alongside legendary Steve Redgrave at the LA Games in 1984. So who better to talk rowing with than Martin?
1: Exactly, Jack. Delighted to get Martin Cross on the podcast this week. And I touched base with him after the success of Paul and Fintan at Lucerne last weekend. That's their third regatta in a row that they have won gold. So they're world champions, European champions. And now they've gold from World Rowing Cup too. So I just wanted to get a sense of where Martin Cross rates this Irish lightweight double with Tokyo just two months away. And as you'll hear from him quite soon, he's um, he's. They are the crew to beat. They are the dominant force in lightweight rowing at the moment. But Martin always chats. also chats about Dominic Casey. He also chats about Skibring Rowing Club and how, how it's held and how it's viewed on the international rowing stage. And he talks about the Irish Rowing Crews too, with six, six crews going to the Olympics, which is a record for Irish rowing. But before we hear from Martin... You mentioned there about the success of the Irish Roars at World Cup 2 last weekend. Five medals were won, which is an incredible haul for Irish Roars. And we have that gold by by Paul and Fintan. But from a Skilbreen point of view, I was delighted to see Lydia Heafy win silver in the lightweight women's single on Saturday. That's Lydia's first ever senior international medal. So huge, huge occasion for for the left woman. We've had her on, on the podcast before. She won gold at the European under-23s last year, which she's working really, really hard. She finished sixth at the Europeans uh, a couple of months ago, and now she has a silver medal from a World Rowing Cup, so it's onwards and upwards for her. And Gary O'Donovan just missed out on a bronze medal by 0.22 of a second. That's just two-tenths of a second. He was pipped right at the end by a Chilean roar. Um, Gary looked nailed on for bronze at one stage, but pipped right at the end. So off the back of the success of Emily Hegarty and Aoife Casey in Lucerne the previous weekend, just great to see the the Skib contingent keep West Cork and Skib rowing on the map again last weekend. But as you'll hear now from from Martin Cross, he's a big fan of and rowing and it's big name stars too. We're delighted to have Martin Cross joining us on this week's Star Sport podcast. As a roar, he's won the, the biggest medals there are at, at Olympic level. He's an author, he's a journalist, he's a renowned a commentator. Welcome to the podcast, Martin, and thanks for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Kieran. Thank you.
1: I touched base with you earlier this week to chat um, about the Irish Rowan success at World Rowan Cup 2 in Lucerne the weekend just gone and Mostly about uh, the Irish lightweight double of Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarty, because they have just dominated that event in the last couple of 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 regattas. How impressed have you been by Paul and Fintan?
2: Well, I I think you know little short of sensational. I think if you if you looked at a number of Olympic events, there's there's only two or three where you could say, okay, with certainty, I'll put my money on these and they'll win a gold medal, you know? So like the Chinese women's quad, um, very dominant, but, you know, outside of that, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of marginal call, but one of the other boats that you'd say, you know, I cannot imagine these two being beaten uh, in the Olympics is the Irish lightweight men's double of Paul and Fintan. And uh, the reason for that is, is that they're so dominant on the field. And, um, they remind me of um, a New Zealand boat that won sort of double gold medals in, in 2012 and 2016 in the way that they race. Uh, it was a New Zealand pair. And they're not the quickest out of the blocks, but their speed once they get out of the blocks from about 250 metres to um, through to sort of six 700 metres just remains the same. A lot of crews drop off. They go out fast and then drop off. But, you know, their coach, Dominic Casey, has got them so well-trained that they don't have that drop-off in speed. And consequently, um, you know, by the time you get to the second thousand, where you think they're really strong, that they're in front of crews. I mean, the crews they're in front of are, are phenomenal. The standard in, in Lightweight men's Run because everybody has to weigh in an average of 70 kilos. So, you know, like the the, the German crew with jason osborne i mean this guy he's going to be a pro cyclist after the olympics he's the world e-cycling champion you know he's also won the world singles title lightweight singles title. i mean he's a phenomenal athlete incredible and you know paul and fintan are just going through him like he's not there you know the norwegians um that won. um Chris Brune and Ari Strandley, that won the bronze medal in the Rio Olympics, they're, they're being left for dead. And, you know, for the Italians, Oppo and Ruta, not to medal at the, Le- the second World Cup, you know, is it, just a testament to the strength of those crews. Now, you know, Paul and Fintan are, are out in front by a sizable margin. And it's very difficult to see how any of those crews can get back that margin. But, you know particularly the way the way they race i mean paul o'donovan is a force of nature i mean you know walking around the boat park you see the size of his leg muscles i mean normally with lightweights they're, they're skinny sort of creatures because they have to weigh in at you know 70 kilos but somehow paul just maintains this incredible strength and bulk in his frame and um and, and to see them come down the course in, in, in the attack they put into each stroke, the, the solidity they have at the back end of the stroke, the finish, so they're really accelerating, and put out. You know, it, it, it is like watching something primeval. I wouldn't say they are the prettiest double to look at in terms of technique, you know, I might look at, say, the Germans uh, or even the Norwegians and uh, the Italians, certainly, and say, yeah, you know, the way they put the blades in and, and, and the flow they've got, probably it's, it's, it's more technically precise. But the Irish are, are just so dynamic. And I think Dominic Casey's got them technically better now. So they've got this incredible endurance to give in the second half of races. And, and you know, it's astounding, the world of rowing.
1: You mentioned Paul O'Donovan there, and we might be biased over here in West Cork and even in Ireland, but already only 26, 27 years of age, he's regarded as Ireland's greatest ever roar. He's four world titles, he's two European titles, he's an Olympic silver medal. Um, But from an international point of view, how highly is Paul rated and regarded?
2: Well, I think, um, you know, going into the stuff of legend, I would say, um, because... uh, Clearly, they burst on the scene in, in Rio in 2016. And, um, and, and, and Paul went in, and his brother, Gary, they went into a, a superstar status that, that rowers would rarely do. Uh, you know, outside of someone to like Steve Redgrave with five Olympic gold medals. So um, non-rowers, and I was very much aware of this, non-rowers would know about the O'Donovans. Which is, is highly unusual. So that there was that there was that status anyway. But then what happened with Paul is he showed when he went into the single um in in 2016 and 2017, he showed how phenomenal he was by himself by winning the title in the lightweight men's single skull. Then when he got back in the double with FinTan, um, and I and I'm thinking now the championships in um in 2019 that the the dominance that that boat showed on, um, on 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 a on a fantastic field was really striking to win by clear water in that event is really quite unusual so um you know I was hearing a couple of South African rowers doing a podcast on 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 the lucerne 2 you know regatta and you know one of them is and they said what was your what was your favorite race and one of them said lightweight men's doubles he said I just love watching the Irish and Paul O'Donovan. Just the way they race, it, it's just so so dynamic, so powerful, and you know nobody can touch them. So he is achieving uh, an almost legendary stature, and and it's hard to see that because I mean I mean they haven't they've yet to win the Olympic title. He's yet to win Olympic gold medal.
1: Can you imagine what the uh... What, uh, what will happen if Paul does get his hands on an Olympic goal in Tokyo? But you mentioned there, Martin, about the Norwegian and the Italian and the German doubles. They are probably the closest competitors to the Irish double at the moment. But look at Lucerne the weekend, where the Irish double had clear water over them by, by the end. So can those crews close up on Ireland before Tokyo? Or are we looking at the, the gold medalists in waiting in this Irish double?
2: Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say, you know, I, I don't know of anybody uh, maybe the coach of the of the Italians or um, the Norwegians, they might hold hope of, of beating the Irish. And and you know maybe I, I think the Irish can handle any. It will be could be quite rough on the on the Tokyo course. And the other thing is it's going to be extremely humid. Um, and I know when they had the World Junior Championships, people uh, on the Tokyo course uh, back in 2019, you know rowers there were finding it incredibly difficult to compete with that high level of humidity. So I, I guess they're a question marks because everybody's going to be coming into it late. Mm. Um, they're not allowed to do, you know, pre-training camps in Tokyo. So I, you know, it would be legitimate to say the question marks, but, but, but everybody's going to be facing the same thing. And, and, and if the water is rough, like it could be on any course near the sea, I think the Irish double can handle it. So, um, you know, and admittedly, I think also they've been on a, a long training camp. They've just come uh, away from the training camp in um, in Italy, so they, they'd had you know weeks of good, just focus on on their rowing and their technique and their physiological preparations. So, so that kind of put them in the best shape for World Cup too. But even all that being said, um, it, it would take an immense upset. For for them um, to be beaten in Tokyo by, by any of those doubles, and I think the rest of them, it, it's one of the things that Steve Redgrave, the great um, Steve Redgrave, when he got five Olympic gold medals, um, the, they used to say he he beat his rivals before you know they'd even taken to the water. In other words, they they'd accepted almost they were racing for silver. So, you know, I, I think there's something of the same in the lightweight men's double skulls that um, y- you expect who's going to get the silver out, out of the Italians, the Germans and the Norwegians.
1: You mentioned earlier, Martin, I suppose the men behind this, the mastermind of the success of Skibreen rowing and Irish lightweight rowing over the last couple of years, Dominic Casey. And you, you probably know too, Dominic's not a, not a great man for interviews he likes to do. He's, he's talking behind the scenes, but... What about his role in this story? Like he's been an incredible part of this this rowing success.
2: I, I think it's been amazing, and 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 I, and I think um, to to look at the way he's brought those guys through, it, it, including you know Gary, uh, Donovan when he was in the boat, um, has been little sort little short of sensational. I mean, he, he is a tough guy. I mean, you know, it took a tough decision to replace Gary O'Donovan with with Fintan McCarthy in the boat, you know, to to split two brothers up. And, you know, he's he's certainly able to take tough decisions. I, I think the, the other thing to bear in mind is, is the context for Irish lightweight rowing now, Irish rowing in general. Um, they've, they they went for this um, Italian performance director who kind of oversees uh, the whole sport, Antonio Giovanni and you know um, and, and I think Irish rain has moved on to a more Italian based program which can be quite a fearsome sort of training program but they seem to have lapped it up in terms of what they're doing um, and and so um, what what you've got is is Dominic's shrewd technical eye mm-hmm. in terms of what he what what the double are doing and you know the 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 way the bodies open out through the stroke just to give that leverage through the water um, and, and uh, the, the, the speed and dynamism of, of the entry at the front end, you've got that. Plus I think with this fantastic program that all the Irish squad are on now where um, it's, it's, you know, the, 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 level of, the level's gone up. Um, and, and I think that that has, you know, showing benefits not just uh, for Dominic's crew, but across the whole Irish squad.
1: You talk about levels going up and performance levels improving. Just on the lightweight double again for a moment, do you think Paul and Finton can get even better?
2: Well, you know, the Paris Olympics um, will have the lightweight men's double. It was thought that, that you know, that, that event would be replaced. Um, I think technically they can uh get a bit better. I think, you know, just in terms of um uh being even a little more fluid, a little more relaxed around the front end. I think there's there's technical uh precision work they can do. We're talking minuscule bits there. Um in, in terms of their physiology, I think you know, the lad Finton's got a little bit um of of sort of growing of his physiology to do. Um, compared to Paul, I reckon you know Paul's pretty much there, 27, 28 years of age now. You know that's that's pretty sort of that that that, that that's you know where you're 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 coming to your peak in terms of physiology. So I think Fintan can probably develop a little bit more. So I do think the double has more to come, um, and and I, and I suspect we'll probably see that um, in the run up to Paris. I don't know quite how because I know Paul with his You know, he took some, he's studying quite hard. Um, And, and so, uh, you know, I I think he is serious about, you know, his life after sport and so Mm -hmm. on. So there is a balance to be had. Um, And I know now he's a full-time professional athlete, but, um, you know, where he was doing his studying, he was having to balance training and and studying. So I I think that's probably the only thing that, that might be a factor in, in determining the speed of the double.
1: I have to ask you too, Martin, just about Skibbereen Rowing Club. The club is only a couple of minutes from our headquarters here in the <laughs> Southern Star. It's a club that has put rowing, um, Irish rowing on the world map. We've had Eugene Coakley, Timmy Harnley, Richard Coakley, Gary Paul, Marco Donovan, Sean O'Driscoll, Denise Walsh, yeah. we'll have Aoife Casey and Emily Hegarty going to the Tokyo Olympics as well. But just to get, the again, that outside view on Skibbereen Rowing
2: Club, how, how highly is this club held? Well, I think, you know... Uh, the the in, in rowing mostly people look at the um the, the nation that people come from and, and, and tend not to focus on on, on the club but what's happened uh, with the success of the O'Donovans is that people have now looked to where they are based and 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 they've sort of started asking questions about skibbering. I think you know all all, all of the great rowing coaches they they kind of look at a program and they want to see you know, what performance advantage can be had from any particular system. And normally you look at the, the British system, uh, uh, you know, as the best funded system in the world, you know, they, they have 36 million pounds over four years from lottery money. And, you know, they have their massive big training base with, you know, hundreds of boats in and all the rest of it at Caversham. But to look at a small club like Skibbereen and, and you know, and to look at the atmosphere there and 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 the determination that the way you, you've spoken about role models to to copy but the way that you, you could follow those role models and and to have somebody like Dominic casey who you know is trusted and you know he's he's grown together with the o'donovans you know people are are asking what is it that we can take from what skibberine is doing so, you know, I know, I know coaches, uh, you know, Chris Korsanowski, the American coach, quite a famous coach. And, and he's, you know, fascinated with the whole environment around Skibbereen and how a, a small club can produce so many great rowers. That's an incredible story.
1: And very final question. Six Irish boats going to the Tokyo Olympics, a record for Irish rowing. Are you expecting big things from, from the Irish rowers over there?
2: Well, I am really. Uh, you know, I, I think um, in 2019 um, there were those two gold medals with Sanita Pospura and, and Paul and Fintan at the World Rowing Championships. Um, I would expect that Sanita would be challenging for a gold medal. She got a bronze in uh, the recent World Cup too, um, but it was the first race of the season, so you know, I think she was she will have more to give in in that sense. I think one of the most exciting races of the whole world cup too was the the men's double. And, 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 then you've got Phil Doyle and Ronan Byrne. Um, and, and, and they were literally with the world champions from China. I mean, it was, it was just a whisker. They lost out and got the silver by, it. but they do, they will go now. It, it, it's really good. I think that they got the silver in, in Lusone because they will go now with a real belief that they can win gold. In, um, in Tokyo and then you've got some of the fantastic women's crews, you know, the women's four that qualified at the final Olympic qualification regatta have shown real form, it's a really tough event um, that is but I, I think overall you're, you're looking at you know, genuine top medal uh, sort of results in, in at least three of those boats um, and maybe the women's four as well uh, which is, you know, for a nation like Ireland is phenomenal.
1: You no, know, hopefully, fingers crossed, Martin. We have, a, we have a great Olympics for the Irish Roars. And thank you so much for giving us your time on this week's Star Sport podcast. Delighted to chat to you.
2: Pleasure, Kieran. Thank you very much.
3: Thanks for listening to the Star Sport podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Kieran, a few weeks back,
0: we were reporting the disappointing news that a recurrence of an Achilles injury was going to put paid to Joan Healy's Olympic ambitions for this year, at least. And that hasn't changed, but the prognosis around the injury is better than first feared.
1: Yeah, Joan was part of the Irish one hundred m women's relay team that was heading to the World Relay Championships in Poland. And if they had a top eight finish there, they would have qualified for the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. But a couple of weeks ahead of the World Relays, uh, Joan... She she felt a niggle in her in her in her Achilles and it was um then she had to put up in training a couple of weeks before the the squad was to fly out as well so the end result end result is that Joan wasn't involved at the World Relays um she missed the what that championships the Irish team didn't qualify for the Olympics but they did qualify for the 2022 World Championships in Oregon. But Jonas had to wait a couple of weeks for the official diagnosis of her injury. And it's not as bad as first feared, but it's still severe enough to, to keep her out for the rest of the year. But that's because, and I should explain here, she doesn't have the body of work behind her last winter when she was injured again. So she's decided to sit out the 2021 summer season use it as a base to build for a big 2022 so well it's disappointing for Joan that she never got her, her chance to try and qualify for, for the Olympics she's already planning and looking ahead to to next season but it's very interesting Jack uh, um, I just asked Joan about that women's 4 x 100 meter squad and if she felt that they were good enough to qualify for the Olympics and she felt they were so she thinks it's a missed opportunity she could have joined her sister Phil in Tokyo this summer which have been a, an incredible story but um, such is life, such the way it's it's worked out for her. But she's she's keeping positive and she's already building towards twenty twenty two. We're joined now on the podcast by Joan Healy. Joan, the last time we were chatting, it was ahead of the European indoors. Um, you were competing there. Unfortunately, since you came back from the European indoors, things have kind of gone downhill since then. Um, Can you explain to us, when you came back from the indoors first, you were telling me that you you felt a little niggle in your Achilles after the indoors.
3: Yeah, so basically it kind of started out with um, the lack of access to to tracks here in Cork because of COVID. Um, So right up until the indoors and to the Europeans um, at the weekends, I had mainly been training with Phil in Dublin. So um, access to tracks in, in Cork hadn't been an issue for me. Um, But then when the indoor season was over um, and we had to kind of extend the distance and get the volume in for outdoors, um, I needed the access to the track in Cork. Unfortunately, um, our tracks in Cork weren't open even for elite athletes at the weekend. Um, So then um, I had to go and find another track for myself. Um, And I ended up down in Kinsale Community School um, where they have a nice track down there. Now, when I went down there and I stepped on the track, I was like oh god this is actually quite soft um in my runners so but I didn't take much notice of it I got through my session I had no issues um at all during the session Um uh, felt pretty good and then the next day I went into the gym and I had no issues at all and I was just warming up doing a little bit of skipping and um I had felt just a little pinch in my achilles now I had never had any issues with my achilles before but um you know you hear lots of stories of different athletes um regardless of the sport. Once you hear the Achilles mentioned at all, you know you get a pain in the pit of your stomach um, and you instantly start worrying. so I saw the physio he had initially thought it was um you know calfness in my in or my tightness in my calf um you know leading into the Achilles, causing just a little bit of irritation um and I stayed off the track for about two days. I went back and unfortunately it wasn't just the calf. It had gone into my to my Achilles. Um I'd had a relay session in that weekend and the physios there just had a look at it and they had confirmed that it was in fact um the Achilles, but they had told me that it's something that, you know, could settle down really quickly in like the space of a week if I just unloaded it and, and concentrated on some rehab work. So I did that. Um, they had given me exercises to do every hour of each day and I did them every hour of each day. My day-to-day symptoms had cleared up, but then when it was time to come back running, I was I had come back, I'd gradually built the speed up and I'd gotten into my spikes again. And at that time, I had been selected for World Relays as part of the 4x1. Um, and then the week before, I was supposed to head for the camp um for the relays, I had to pull up in a training session and I just got a sharp like ripple down the inside of my Achilles. Um and at that point I was, you know, not only was I struggling with training, but at that point after that, I was struggling with walking around and just basic day-to-day movement. Um I was at that point then, you know, we had been told because we were missing a few people on the four by one that if anyone else had to of the team and the team could possibly be pulled from World Relays um so obviously I was worried from that sense because I was like oh my god there's you know there's six more girls you know that might lose out on the opportunity to to go to World Relays so they had to declare me um unfit to travel so that the the team would still be allowed go um um unfortunately then I I obviously wasn't able to to travel to World Relays which was disappointing for me but once once I'd heard Achilles mentioned at all I was like oh my god like I have to make a decision here now I could you know try and get out there for world relays and you know I could be I was going to be running on the last leg I could you know get the bat, and then I'd be tearing down the the home straight and next thing it would go and it would be completely career ending so that um, that was something that I didn't, didn't want to risk really
1: because everything was gearing up towards the world really is because there was a chance of qualifying that four by one 100 meter women's team for for the Olympics so yeah to get that news and like you said there a you pulled up chance. yeah when you pulled up there and, and, and you felt that pain how frustrating and disappointed was it from your point of view knowing that I'm not going to get that chance to qualify for the Olympics
3: oh my god I was just it was so disappointing especially the winter that I had had as well with the plantar fasciitis in the same foot and I had missed so much um, time on the track to even get out to Europeans was an achievement in itself but like things had improved with the foot I was getting the work done Um, things were starting to come together for me on the track in terms of outdoors and you know we we knew because of covid we were never going to be in a situation like this again where if we, we would probably have such a good opportunity of qualifying for the olympics um you know the top 8 had already been you know were automatically qualified from the previous world championships in doha in 2019 so it was the top 8 so if you made the final um you you were going to the olympics i mean at the at, at that stage if you got into the final it was just a matter of getting the baton round safely and you were you were on the plane to Tokyo, and then as the time came closer, then to World Relays, we had heard that you know lots of the bigger teams were weren't risking um, traveling to World Relays. So I think uh, there was only going to be fourteen teams um, in the heats. So that was a massive opportunity to qualify. So I was so disappointed, um, uh, you know, not to be able to get out there, not be able to help the team to qualify. Um, but you know luckily they they managed to qualify in the top ten which qualifies them for the world relay or for the world championships in um in Eugene and Oregon next summer, so at least they got something out of it but yeah, it is it was massively disappointing to to watch them um you know knowing that i'm sitting at home and I wish I could have been there, and you know it might have been who knows what the outcome might have been
1: and your mind too must have been on your own injury too, Joan, because like you said when you when you heard Achilles, you are like, oh, no, this could be rather mm-hmm. problematic. So what was the process then from when you suffered that injury to getting the, the official diagnosis?
3: So unfortunately, the process was ridiculously slow. Um, I mean, you had been on to me yourself sort of wondering had I gotten the MRI results back. I hadn't even had the MRI at that stage. Um, and when it turned out then that, you know, I did eventually get my MRI results back and the treatment for it was um, high volume um injection where they just kind of fill up the area with fluid and it kind of just separates out the tendons a little bit so they'll stop frictioning friction against each other and then just a little bit of steroid injection just to get rid of any inflammation in the area um when i heard that that was the treatment that probably <laughs> drove the knife in a little bit deeper and twisted it because um you know, I suppose if I was maybe put into an MRI machine, maybe day one when I had those symptoms, um, considering that, you know, there was an an Olympic qualification at stake, then, you know, at that stage when, it, when the symptoms had started, we had a good, you know, four or five weeks to world realize. So, you know, if I could have been diagnosed earlier, um, had the injection, I possibly would have been on the team. So that was that was even more disappointing than I found out from the specialist last week and he was he was kind of like how we set our, how we seven weeks later and we're only now figuring out um what the issue was.
1: That must be very frustrating from your point of view. I know it's a what if, but like you said there of what if this mm-hmm. was caught initially, like it could have been far different. So
3: exactly. I mean it, you know, it's it's you know, we want to People, are, you know, expect us to be out there competing with the best in the world. Um, but you know, when you're in a high-performance situation, it shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be waiting for for things like that. And with so much at stake, you know, it wasn't just a, a world relay championship; it was a qualification for an Olympics. And fair enough, I've I've missed out, and I'm disappointed that I don't get to go to the Olympics. But there's six other girls as well that are also missing out on it. You know, I mean, they did fantastic. Outside the, the teams that were there, they have we have a four by four mixed relay team going out there we could have also had a four by one you know um so maybe the management of it could have been a little bit better.
1: you feel that four by one squad was good enough to get to Tokyo?
3: 100 percent 100 percent I mean there is so much depth in women's sprinting um when you look at the you know the group of girls that are there um We've like, I mean, I don't know if you've followed uh, Rashida Adelecki. She's out in, in Texas at the moment and she's after um, breaking Phil's 200-meter record and she's getting pretty close in the 100. So she wasn't available at the time because she's out there in Texas um, competing for them. But, you know, if we did qualify for the Olympics, she would have been, you know, one of the front runners to be on the team. We've got Kira Neville, who's just opened up her season now as well. And there's so many other girls there. Um, the team would have would have done really well. You know, outside and there would definitely have been you know a, the chance of breaking the national record as well
1: so obviously the disappointment of missing out and you've had your diagnosis how are you right now how is how is the Achilles how is your foot sorry
3: the it's 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 not it's not too bad um I was back doing a little bit of running during the week and some of my drills and some light jumping and stuff um it gets a little bit tight the the following days. So um, I'm just waiting now for that, for that injection. Um, So hopefully once I get that injection, I have to wait for two weeks without doing anything on it. And then I can get back to, um, to planning for the next season.
1: And I know we're coming into this summer season to kind of um, on the track, but Mm -hmm. the way it is right now, Joan, you're just putting 2021 to one side and you're, you're switching your focus to getting ready for, for next year, is it?
3: Yeah, I am because if, I, you know, maybe if I didn't have that foot injury back in the winter, um, I probably would continue with my 21 outdoor season. Um, but having missed so much time on on the track, I don't have enough of the work, enough of the speed endurance, enough of the volume done to be able to take myself competitively over um, over 100 metres. You know, I could go out and, you know, I, I could run, you know, 11, 6, 11, 7, but I don't want to go out and run 11, 6 and 11, 7. I want to go out and be, be able to say, you know, and stand on the start line and know that I have, all the work done and I'm confident in a good performance being produced here. And and at the moment I'm, I'm not in that place.
1: And how, how do you kind of, um, kind of come to terms with that, that the rest of the year, you're not going to be kind of racing competitively. Is is that very hard for you as an athlete, as a competitor, who just wants to get on the track and you want to show everyone what you can do and you've to, you're in a position now where you're not going to be competing until 2022. So how do you come to terms with that?
3: Yeah, it's, um, it's been an adjustment and the last seven weeks have been, have been pretty difficult. Um, you know, the outdoor season is, is starting now. Um, a few diamond leagues run over the weekend. Um, some of the Irish girls have started to open up this weekend. Um, Phil is going to be opening up, which is pretty exciting. And, you know, you just start to get that little buzz again, you know, for the outdoor season and you're just wishing that you could just be out there, um, doing it with them. Um, so look, it is disappointing. I mean, it's the first, it's the first summer really that um many many years that I've been in athletics where I, you know, I haven't done something. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll be able to behave like a normal individual this summer for a change.
1: Does it make you even more determined, didn't Joan, to, to come back even stronger in 2022? Like you mentioned earlier, that Irish relay team has got to the World Championships in Oregon, so, so straight away there you have a target, you have something to aim for. So does that help to the fact that you know that already there are these goals to mm-hmm. work towards for next year.
3: Absolutely. Um, you know, I just kind of want to wipe this the slate clean now. Um, the end of 2020 and 21 has been really difficult. It's probably been one of my most difficult years in the sport so far. Um, so I just want to wipe the slate clean. I just kind of want to start from scratch again, I want to get get in, you know, that volume, that work that I missed over the winter. I want to kind of get a head start on that. Um, There's areas that I want to improve on. Um, So in a way it is, it is kind of exciting. Um, I'm going to be making um, some changes um, this summer. Um, So that is exciting to see how it's going to work out. And next year, there's a lot on next year. I know this year is a pretty big year being the Olympics and it's, it's disappointing that um, I'm going to miss it. But, you know, next year we've got world indoors um and the standard for that is like seven thirty. so my pb is seven thirty one. so that's obviously something that i'm going to be chasing again we've got the world outdoors in, in oregon which you know we're already qualified for in the four by one and i have every intention of being on that strike four but as well as that i, I want to be there in an individual event um and then after our oregon there's the european outdoor championships in munich Um, which is another one again the relay team will hopefully be going to and again i hope to be having um, an individual event of the 100 meters there
1: that's brilliant to hear that you so much look forward to in 2022 and you mentioned there too John. obviously the disappointment of missing out at the chance to get to the olympics this year when that does roll around in a couple of months time what sort of fan are you? Will you sit down and watch what's what's happening over there? Would you switch off from it or how will you approach the games? Oh knowing-
3: God, no, absolutely not. No. I'll be absolutely glued to it and especially with Phil in it, who's going to be there for not one but three events. Um, it's going to be very exciting. I mean, I only I could only wish that I would, you know, if it was any other year and I wasn't able to to compete, um, and if we didn't have any restrictions on travel, I'd absolutely be there. Um, so that is disappointing that we can't go out there and and support her, but um, no doubt we'll um, we'll all be glued to it here.
1: Hundred percent. We're all looking forward to seeing you back on the track before too long, John. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast.
3: No problem. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork.
0: Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast, and before we wrap up, we're going to quickly preview this week's star sport section so Kieran, give us an idea of what readers can expect in this week's edition
1: there's so much going on this week Jack it's our biggest sports section of the year so far and I caught up with Conor Horan on Monday night because Connor and Swansea are in the championship playoff final at Wembley this Saturday afternoon when they take on Brentford. the winner of that game goes straight up to the Premier League so Conor is hoping to fire Swansea to playoff glory at Wembley um, this weekend, and it's actually it's the seventh time Connor will have played at Wembley since 2016, which is an incredible record. He's he's won three there and lost three, and he's um he's he's a man of great experience at that stadium. So he hopes to use that to his advantage um, with Swansea this weekend. It could be the his final game in Swansea colours because his loan deal ends uh, at the end of the season, and he go, goes back to Aston Villa where he's one year left on his contract. His future is up in the air. We don't know what his next move is going to be, but he's not going to talk about that until after he hopes Swansea get back into the Premier League. So that's a, a good interview with Connor in this week's Southern Star. Regarding the rowing, I've caught up with Paul Griffin. He's a two-time Olympic rower from Killarney who rowed with Timmy Harnady, Eugene Coakley and Richie Coakley at Olympics before. And I wanted to get his thoughts too on Paula Donovan and Fint McCarthy in the Irish lightweight double and it's a really interesting read to get uh, Paul Griffin's insight into what makes the Skibbereen duo so good. We also have a a very interesting local GA story. I've caught up with the Carbery senior hurling manager Charlie Vaughan for his thoughts on the Carbery senior hurling team not being entered in this year's county championship. I'm not going to say any more, but it's it's worth picking up Thursday Southern Star to read Charlie's thoughts. Um, ab- about this and there's plenty more beside that because it's uh, it's uh, inter-county heavy at the moment so the, the Cork ladies are playing Dublin in the National League this weekend they beat Tipperary last weekend the Cork team travels to, to to Waterford this weekend last weekend the Cork Camogie team beat Kerry in, in the National League and we, we have a report and reaction from that the Cork hurlers absolutely walloped Westmead at Parky Creeve last Sunday. And again, we've reported Kieran Kingston's thoughts on that. And we've we've all the news and views from Cork's game against Leash and a preview of the game against Kildare, including Holly O'Sullivan's column. So as you can see, Jack, there's a lot going on in this week's sports section.
0: Brilliant stuff. And if you can't make it to the shops across West Cork, you can always just subscribe to our digital edition online. Go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and read the Southern Star Sports section on your computer, tablet, or smartphone for less than two euro per week. Thanks for listening to the Star Sport podcast this week. We'll be back at the same time next week. If you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sláinte, Tomal.